Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. We're in a series uh, called Gym Class, and we're studying through the book of James throughout, throughout the summer, and Jim is short for James, and so Gym Class. Matter of fact, um, we have a couple of photo ops on the other side of this wall right here. If you haven't got a picture with your dad today, make sure you do that. There's another one right around the corner. Uh, we'd love for you to do that. Hashtag LifePointSA.com or hashtag Father's Day Essay so we can see you. Um, it's been a great day, and I want to just say thank you. If, if this is your first time here, um, man, I don't know what to say, but thank you. It, it's such an honor for us that anytime somebody would come to check us out, there's a lot of great churches, I promise you, a lot of great churches in this area in San Antonio, so many of whom are our friends. But the fact that you're here today, it means so much to us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a real honor to have you here. Can we give all of our guests a hand? Would you guys do that real quick? So we um, wrapped up chapter one last week. We're going into chapter two. But before we get to chapter two, I want to start with the very last verse of chapter one. And this is what James, the brother of Jesus um, who is writing, this is the first of the New Testament books that's written. There's, all these other ones will come after this one. And it just sort of, kind of sets the tone, the ethic for how church people, religious people, Christians are supposed to walk out their faith. And so he says, religion that God our Father accepts as, if you have your Bible there, just underline pure and faultless. Would you say that with me? Pure and faultless is this. And it's two things. Number one, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's part one. And then secondly, to keep oneself from being, say this word with me, being polluted by the world. Now, anytime you see the world like that in the New Testament, the word is generally speaking the word cosmos. It's not like we're not going into astrology or anything like that. It just means, first of all, the the ball that we all live on called earth but it also uh, it has a spiritual connotation, meaning that there are going to be very many people on that ball that are going to turn their backs on their creator and, and follow another way of doing life. So in John 12, 31, Jesus calls Satan, that fallen angel, calls him the prince of the world, cosmos, the same word, that there, is a spir- there are spiritual forces of darkness and influence and principles and values of the, quote, world that are in opposition to a biblical worldview, and I think that a lot of us know what that means. So he says, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to serve the people who are in the margins, the people who often cannot help yourself. I want you to get out into that world that, you're, that you were born into, that you're living on, and I want you to make a, demp- a, a, a difference. I want you to do redemptive work, uh, and particularly for folks, and we're gonna see this, who don't have enough in their lives to make it happen. I want you to do that. But then he creates a tension for us because he says, I want you to be in the world doing redemptive work, but I want you to make sure that while you're doing that, you don't let the world get into you. That you make a difference in the culture, but you don't let the values, the systems of the culture, the world get into you. Does that make sense, everybody? And that's hard to do. That's hard. This is why James is writing this. It's hard to do. And so James rolls into this next part, which when they constructed the Bible and they put it all together, they called this part chapter two. It's really just one long letter uh, and thought to the 12 12 tribes scattered, we read uh, the first week, all across that that Roman empire. So here's what he says in verse one. My brothers and sisters, believers in our, now notice this word, glorious. It's important, that word, because he could have just said believers in Jesus. Right? And we would have all known what he meant. But he specifically says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we, we must not show favoritism. So he's going to talk about partiality and favoritism and, and discrimination as we've, as we've seen in our worlds. One of the ways that he says that you, can, you and I can get polluted by the values, by the culture, is to allow favoritism, discrimination, um, partiality to be part of our work, because it's in the systems of the world, and it's, it's hard not to let it get into you. This is one of the ways. 
Now, I also want you to notice that as you're reading through James, I hope you will. I hope you'll read through it. Just go through it because it's going to change your life. I guarantee it. When he says, my brothers and sisters, you're about to get punched in the gut. Come on, just get ready. Oh, it's like, just like, hey, guys, brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? It's just like a short rabbit punch to the throat. Maybe even a little flick to the throat as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, just know that. And, and then notice that he says, brothers and sisters, and that, because this is a family issue. This is not about the folks that are not believers. He's writing to believers and saying, guys, we have an issue. And he's talking about the constant need that we have as human beings to try to get glory for ourselves. We're going to see this in a moment. And to try to give glory to other people who are not, who are not created to handle glory that only God belongs, that only belongs to God. All right? So right out of the gate, I want to tell you that it's glory and it's honor that's at stake here uh, in part in this passage. Now, he says favoritism, which is, is, is a compound Greek word, two words. One, one of it mean, part of it means to receive and part of it means to face. So literally to receive somebody's face or, or to, to make judgments based on superficial things, right? Um, so this is what we do in our world we treat people differently based on whether they're rich or poor, and that's where he's going to go with it. That's the example that he's going to use. He's not just talking about this, but this is the example he's going to use. We do it based on where you're from, what your nationality is. Are you from a city? Are you from the country? What your skin color is, what your gender is, famous, not famous, wealthy, not wealthy. What are all of the things that you and I and our culture, our world does to classify people and then sort of slot them based on what we perceive as their value or importance in the world. Does that make sense, everybody? Are you with me? He says that's what favoritism is, and it's a family issue, and it's, it, shouldn't, it must not happen, he says. So in our culture, we tend to favor certain types of people over other types of people. For a fact, social scientists tell us that tall people get better jobs tr- typically than short people do. So I'm sorry if you're short, like I'm short compared to David Robinson, all right? So he's going to get a better job making a lot more money because he could dunk and shoot and block shots, and I can't do any of those things. Can I get a witness on somebody, right? right? Uh, we also know from just school, when you were in school, the, the better looking people got treated better, yes or no, right? You're like, yeah, because it was, I was, and I liked it like that, right? And other people are like, wait till we grow up. You're going to get fat and bald, right? And then I'm going to look awesome, right? And if I don't, well, I'm just going to cut you a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Just a little, just a little nick. I don't know why I did that. I haven't done that once today, but I just felt like people should know in case somebody wants to come at me. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll nick you for Jesus, for Jesus. So I've never been a person that cared about celebrity much. I mean, I like them as human. They're created in the image of God. But like, I'm not going to go clamor for somebody's autograph. I've never asked for an autograph. Uh, it, makes me, it makes me crack up when I see people like, oh, dude, look over there. I'm going to go over there to them right in the restaurant. I know they're here with their family, and they're just trying to do their own thing. But I'm going to interrupt them and try to get their autograph. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. And they're like, SMH, man. Shaking my head. I just have to translate for all the old people like me in the room. So I'd like to think that I'm above all of that on some level, but I'm not. Like if Stevie Wonder came walking in that back door, y'all, I would shove the orphans and the widows to the ground trying to get to... (laughs) Praise God, Stevie Wonder. Because like I love... Brian McKnight, I don't know if y'all know who that is, but like, dude, that's my dude, man. Stevie Wonder... I know I'm a white dude, but I like Stevie Wonder and Brian McKnight a lot. There is superstition. But I don't ever know all the words. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, mon chéri, mon pretty Anybody with me on that? What is the words? My wife never knows the words, y'all, of any song ever. Love you, babe. Happy Father's Day to me. Um, like Lou Graham from Foreigner, Steve Perry from Journey, Fred Hammond, because I'm a gospel music dude. Fred Hammond came up in here. I'm shoving everybody out of the way. Hey, y'all, get Fred, uh, get Fred a nice chair. We're going uh, to sing some Fred Hammond songs. 
No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I can't sing it like him because his voice is this thick and mine is this thick. <laughs> it won't work. Anybody? Anybody now? Just to be close to you. Woo! I would have some church if we could get in a key of B flat with Fred Hammond. Like the church I grew up in, they ran around the building. I might run if Fred Hammond came up in here. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, it's the third gathering. By this time, I'm just like, yeah, whatever's going to come out of my mouth, it's going to come out. <laughs> you are like, I got to start coming to the first gathering. <laughs> so I think what James is getting out here, I'm going back to the Bible now. Ready? Is that when you think about life from, from a biblical worldview, right? There's really two realities that are often overlapping. There's the reality that, that Christ is king over all and that, that the kingdom of God, which Jesus came to usher in, is just ever unfolding. It's a glorious kingdom. Isaiah says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Like there's that reality where, where up there has come down here and is, is, is doing awesome work. But then there's this other reality, the world, which we just described, and they are, they are always going to be in conflict. There is, there is the kingdom of God, which is the way things are supposed to be. Right? Shalom. If you know that word shalom from the Old Testament, it's the peace of God. It's the, it, it's the way things are supposed to be. Up there, down here, Jesus is alive. Jesus is rule, ruling and reigning. So the kingdom is, is the sphere of influence. Wherever, wherever the kingdom of God expands to, that's his kingdom. That's, wherever hearts are open to receive God, his kingdom is born in them. Does that make sense? And then there is the kingdom of this world and people are allowing that to come in their world as well. And so today, we live in that world, right? We're, we inhabit this space, and, and, but we, we live in cultures. We live in nations where there isn't a biblical worldview, and the kings and the rulers of that are, are not followers of Jesus. They're not aligning their hearts and their values around Jesus. And, and, and so in the middle between the world and the kingdom is the church, right? It's the church, and in God's kingdom, there is no favoritism. And in the, in the church, there should be no favoritism. And, and the problem is, is sometimes the church thinks in a way that is more like the world and less like God's kingdom. Yes or no? Right? And that's exactly what's happening here in James. And James is saying the church shouldn't be like the world. The church should be like the kingdom. Um, and their problem, their problem and ultimately, our problem sometimes is, is partiality. And Jesus, James says, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. So when Paul is writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, he says that God alone is immortal and who lives in, say this with me, in unapproachable light. Like so great is the glory, the magnificence, the blinding splendor, radiance, majestic awe that is God that no one has ever seen or can see him. We, we learn in the Old Testament that if you were to see God in your human form, if you were to see God as he is, you would drop dead. That's how great his glory is. He's un, in a, unapproachable light. Whom no one has seen or can see, to him, to him, everybody say this, to him be honor and might or glory forever. Amen. That's where the glory goes. That's to him is where the honor goes. And so he lit, so James says, if you're going to be a believer in Jesus, you need to know that there, that God alone can handle the weight that is glory. That is the favoritism, the glory that we like to ascribe to people. And the Bible says it's only to him that the honor might go. So James says, listen, um, I want to talk to you about seats, the seats that you're sitting in this morning. This is what he says. I want to talk to you about seats. So verse, verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. He's wealthy, obviously, right? And then a poor man in, in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say to, to him, hey, here's a good seat for you now in the Jewish tradition, even today in the Jewish tradition, there are, if you go to a synagogue here in this town, you will find that there are special seats of honor. They are. Um, and it's sometimes it's because somebody paid, gave a lot of money to the congregation. 
I'm not throwing stones. I'm not throwing shade. I'm just telling you it's a fact. To, and, and it was happening in this day. Here's a good seat. Here's a seat of honor and glory for you because you're obviously wealthy. But if you say to the poor man, you stand there, over there, like in the back or wherever, or you sit on the floor by my feet, and the little word is you become my footstool. Like sit down here by my feet, and I'm going to prop my feet up on your back. So, so this is an ultimate insult because, come, come on, your feet aren't good like on a normal good day. But if you're, if you're living in Roman emperor time and you're in the backwater like Jerusalem, right, and you're walking the streets, they're not paved. Come on, somebody. And there are lots of animals and they're leaving their precious giblets for people to stand in so that, come on, their feet are not in good shape. So you, you, you're poor, sit over here, and my feet, which are not in good shape, I'm gonna put them up on your back. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges, you're taking them at face value. You're looking at them at face value and going, you're, you should get glory, you should get honor. I'm gonna put you in a nice seat and you, based on how you look, I'm gonna put you over here and you're gonna be my footstool with my donkey stank feet. Come on. I don't know why I said donkey stank feet, but I like it. I must say it more often. Somebody write that down for me to remember. And then you become judges with, say this word with me, with Evil. What? That's evil? We're going to see why. Two guys are strangers. We know they're strangers because they don't know where to sit. And somebody's got to sit. The ushers have to sit them. The rich guy, he's not criticizing the guy for being wealthy. He's criticizing the ushers for treating him different than the poor guy. Right? It's about partiality. It's about favoritism. It's taking people at face value and deciding their worth. Who's worth something? Who's worthy? Who's not worthy? Who needs glory? Who doesn't need glory? So the guy, rich guy gets a good seat. The, bad guy, the, the poor guy gets the bad seat. And Jan, James says, this is an issue. Fa- we're family, brothers and sisters. You're spread out all over across the Roman Empire when you see this. I've seen this in our churches here, he's saying. And I'm telling you, this is not the way. So number one, there's three problems. Number one, favoritism is not... Christ-like. And following Jesus is not about following a bunch of rules and regulation. Are there rules? Yes. Are there principles? Of course there are. It's not about that. It's about following Jesus, trusting him with our salvation, and letting him, day by day, through his spirit, form and shape us into the likeness and the image of Christ. We're trying to be like Jesus. Christian, little Christs. That's what it means, right? So faith In Christ and favoritism or discrimination, they're not compatible. You know why? Because we're all family, brothers and sisters, he says. Now, the word favoritism is only used four times in the Bible. Every other time except this one, it's referring to God, and it's always saying God does not judge people by their external appearance. He doesn't show favorites like that. There, There is discrimination everywhere else in the world, the cosmos, But there ought to be a place, James is saying, and the place should be your community, your faith communities, where no matter who you are or what your background is or what you look like, that you're welcome unequivocally. There ought to be a place, James says, where what happens out there does not make its way into here in terms of how we treat people. It's going to happen everywhere else. Come on, listen. If you're rich, if you're famous, if you're an athlete, you get treated differently all over the world. And wherever you go, you get treated like that. But here's the other bad. Here's the bad part. If you're discriminated against, if you're, if you're marginalized in school or wherever, guess what? As you get older, you get marginalized and forgotten and discriminated against everywhere you go. Like that's what happens out there. But in here, James says, this should not happen. And yet, it does. Come on, real talk. It does. It does. And James says, it's evil, and it shouldn't be so. That in here, we only give favor and glory to God, and we just love one another on the same plane. We're all on the same plane, and we don't even have to agree with each other about everything. We will never all agree about everything, and we will have strong disagreements with each other about various things. But listen, we love one another, and I know it's a foreign concept in our world that if I don't agree with you, that, that I still love you, though. Like, no, no, it's, now it's like if I don't agree with you, we hate each other. What? Come on, y'all, that's crazy talk. 
Real talk and crazy talk all at the same time. Happy Father's Day. Rap, country music, booyah. Baby goes to sleep now. Yeah. That's the 80s thing. Y'all don't know what baby goes to sleep now means. I don't know what it is. I just said it because I heard some dude say it one time. So I heard an analogy this week from a guy. I want to use it. He says, suppose you come to church early. Now, I know that for some of you, that would be very hard to imagine. Come on. But you got there early. You sit down. There's still lots of chairs around you, and you're just minding your own business, you know, looking at your phone or whatever. And suddenly somebody sits down next to you, and you're like, it's Oprah. Whoa. You know, it's Oprah. You know, like, like trying to casually get a picture. And then you're like, this is amazing. There's Oprah. And then all of a sudden, somebody else sits by you, and it's like, it's Tom Brady. Right? I don't know if you like Tom Brady or not, but he's famous, right? And he's rich. But he, there he, so that's just my analogy, right? And you're like, double woe, you know? And so you're like, uh, how, how hard is it going to be for you to concentrate? Like, if he, they were there right next to you right now, you wouldn't have heard one word I said. And some of you are like, I still hadn't heard one word you said. I, I don't know what you're talking about. When, is this, when does this get over? Like, told you we should have gone to the barbecue first. Why did y'all make me come to... Hang on just for a minute. But let's, let's paint a third picture. Suddenly, somehow, God in some veiled form, because if we saw him like he is, we'd die, right? But God comes down on this stage, and the throne of God descends from heaven and sits on this throne, and all of a sudden, the majesty and the glory and the blinding radiance and beauty and the splendor of God Almighty in, came in this room and took over every part of this space, do you even know that Tom and Oprah are there anymore? You don't even know they exist on this planet. Your mind is blown. Is anybody catching this on video? I'm putting this on YouTube, man. It's the glory. It's the splendor. It's the majesty of God. And this is the issue. We take our eyes off the glory and the majesty and the dominion and the power of God who alone is worthy of it. And then we discriminate and we classify and we decide you get glory and you get dishonor. And we do this all the time. And he's like, hey, if you're going to believe in the glorious Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, i got to tell you, fix your eyes on him and stop doing all of these other things because we miss the point. And he says, if you're judging people externally based on externals uh, because of their wealth or their fame or their beauty, James is going to say it's evil. So, so there is the glorious God of heaven who alone is worthy of glory and then there's, there's people and God loves the people and God says, by this all, John, Jesus says in John 13, by this all men will know that you're my followers if you love them too. Like don't, don't treat each other differently. Only give your favor and your attention and your glory. Give your best to God and God alone and everybody else, man. Just love on them as equals. Our job is to go spread the grace, the mercy that's come down. That, that as grace come down, it doesn't just stay inside me. It flows out of me. First Peter 4.10, each one of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various form. God's grace comes down, and I, I'm like a little Pez dispenser of grace all through my life. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, little Pez action. Like, this is my job. So... It's not Christ-like to show favoritism or discriminate. Secondly, it's unreasonable. Verse 5, here's what he says. He says, listen, dear brothers and sisters, and he's going to punch us in the throat again. There's even these little two dots. It's like two pokes in the eyes. Or it's some kind of grammar. And, and Has not God chosen those who are, say it with me, poor in the eyes of the world? That's an important thing. Because the eyes of the world are focused on who's, who's who and who's that and who's rich and who's famous and who's not. Aren't those, hasn't God chosen the ones who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and then to, this is a huge thing, to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. So he's not saying that it's good to be poor and bad to be rich. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying that only the poor are going to be saved, right? He's not saying that at all. But let's be honest, everybody in this room, everybody probably watching this online somewhere is rich compared to the majority of the world. Yes or no? Compared to the rest of the world, you go, I'm not rich. Let me take you to Haiti. Come down next week. We're going on Tuesday to Costa Rica. Let me take you there. Let's decide whether you're rich or not. So you're like, hey, he's talking about those rich people over there. He's talking about you and me. 
Come on, can I, is anybody going to give a brother an amen? You're like, oh yeah, that's me. That's right. That's me. Right? It doesn't make any difference to God, though. The things that makes a difference to us, that we classify people, they don't make a difference to God. Your value with God is not based on your valuables. Listen, you don't confuse your your net worth with your self-worth. You don't confuse your net worth with the way that God values you, right? You are, Ephesians 2, you are God's masterpiece. Whether you're rich or poor, whatever your color is, whatever your gender is, You are created in the image of God. Yes or no, right? Amen. So he says in this case, God chooses the poor. Now, this is the the analogy that he's going to use. Sometimes people who have nothing trust God in a different way than people who have a lot. But what he's saying is these people that in the eyes of the world we call poor are actually rich. They just haven't had their inheritance given to them yet. You see what I'm saying? Jesus says in Matthew that we are storing up treasures in heaven and that people who don't necessarily have treasures here are headed for an unimaginable inheritance promised to those who love him. So so what James is saying here is if we're going to show any sort of preferential treatment, he's like, shouldn't it be to the ones who out there get rejected or forgotten or abused. In James' times, it was the poor. And it could be that way here, but it could be any number of things that we do use to discriminate against people. But the people you're trying to show partiality to, he says, they're, they're not caring. They don't care about you. The people you're trying to give glory to and ascribe worth to as something other, better than, they, they don't even know who you are. And in fact, if they do know who you are, here's what he says in verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the courts? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? It's interesting to me that in our culture, we tend to ascribe wealth and and privilege and whatever, oftentimes to people who who throw their nose up at at the very name of Jesus. Like who who will do everything they can to fight against the things that matter to God. Right? And we're going, hey, you're awesome because you're powerful or you have, you're politically powerful or you're beautiful or you're fast or you throw a football far. But a lot of times, not always, a lot of times they're in direct opposition to what God wants for our lives. And we're like, yay to you. I don't know what that says about us, but I, come on, it can't be good, right? Thank you for the one guy who said, right, yeah. <laughs> I want you to think about you now. It's easy for us to go, ah, those poor people that James is writing to, they're really a bunch of losers. What a bunch of failures that they're doing all this. Do you know why we kiss up to, why we try to cozy up to people who are wealthy, people who have power? We do this at work. We do this in our careers. Why we do, why we do this? It's because we're hoping they'll do something for us. It's not about their actual worth as human beings created image of God. We're hoping that some of their glory might spill over onto us, that maybe their shine will become a little bit of our shine, yes or no. Right, so, that, so that if they become infamous suddenly, we're like, oh, I don't know. I, didn't, I never hung out with that dude. But as long as they have something that they can give to us, like, hey, look at the selfie I got with Tom. My, my case is just some dude named Tom over there at, at Papacito's that I got. But, but whatever. Like, it's like I don't ha- I'm showing that picture, but if he falls from glory, I put the picture back down. Because it wasn't ever about who that person was. It was about what they could give to me. This is what James is going at. You're putting the guy on the front row because you're hoping, man, maybe that guy's going to hook a brother up. And James is like, you don't see him. He might be the best guy ever, but you don't see him as a man created in the image of God. Maybe he just tried to come to church and be treated like everybody else. But you're like, hey, no, 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 come right over here. Honor. I don't want any honor. I don't want any glory. I just want to know Jesus, but we don't see him in like that because we have taken our eyes off the ones, the one who only deserves the glory to give it to somebody else. And James says it's actually the poor and the powerless, the forgotten, the marginalized that God has chosen. And they're often the very ones, especially in this time, that the world rejected, that God has aligned himself with these people because they don't trust in their own riches Instead, they trust in the one who richly provides. 
Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He will go on and say that rich people, and this is really all through the New Testament, and this is not a, a slight to people who are rich because all of us are, and many of us are, in our own ways we are. He will say it's, it's very hard for rich people not to trust in their own wealth and not to trust in their own security and their own happiness and for fulfillment and soul-level satisfaction. That They will have a hard time being, not being distracted by their accumulated wealth and all they have access to, all the fun stuff they have access to because of their wealth. He said it's going to be hard for them. But James says that pure and undefiled religion isn't about who's who and who's not who. I don't even know what that means, but you guys know what I'm saying. It's about what does God see when he looks at the people in this world. And Jesus one time went over the, over the city of Jerusalem, and it says that he, he wept, right, because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, He said he would have gathered them as a mother hen gathers her brood. And he says he's seeking to save those who are lost. And James is saying, could you just take your eyes down a notch from glory and honor to people who don't need it, who don't want it probably, who can't handle it? And would you see the people that I see? Don't show favoritism. It's unchristian. It's unreasonable. And then thirdly, it's unloving. This is the most important reason. He says, verse 8, if you really, uh, verse 8, can we, can we get verse 8? If you really uh, keep the royal law. Now, why is it the royal law? Because look at these quotations here. You see these quote marks? These are, these are the quote of somebody else. In this case, it's the quote of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you, so it's the royal law because it's the commandment of Jesus. It's also the royal law because it's the, so the, the great commandments are love God, heart, soul, mind, strength, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, if you could just get this right, you don't really need any of the other laws. That's why it's royal. He says if you, if you do this, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But, but here's the thing about loving our neighbor. It's not our basic instinct. Our basic instinct is to love ourselves and hate on our neighbor. Have you guys been on Nextdoor, the app, right? Is there a lot of love going on over there? Y'all, you ever seen this thing? Don't get on it, man. It'll just disrupt your soul, right? Dogs are barking again. Can somebody poison that guy's dog? And then the other guy's like, somebody poisoned my dog. I'm going to kill that guy. And somebody towed somebody's car. And somebody needs to move their truck. And somebody left their bicycle out. And it's just like, man... This is a great app if you want to create division and chaos in the neighborhood, right? It's not in us. It's in our, it's in our, it's in our own hearts to be self-interested, to promote ourselves, to make ourselves the center of, your, of our universe. Now you're wondering by now, oh, dear Lord, it's, a long, it's late. Why are we spending so much time on this, Danny? Why is this important that you would take Father's Day? Don't you have something to say about dads? We sang a country song and a rap song. That's all we got, y'all. Got a free t-shirt on the way out, some snacks, and a big red. That's all you really need anyway. The issue is that religious people are often some of the most judgmental people on the planet. You know that that's what we're known for, don't you? What a shame. I'm not saying shame on you. I'm just saying what a shame that the folks who know Jesus, who have been saved by Jesus, who have been shown the grace and the mercy of Jesus, who have been given everlasting life because of Jesus, would evolve into the kind of people who go, not you, you're not welcome. We're better than you. We're holier than you. You're, you're in sin, and we're over here. And, but that's the evolution of religion, and that's why we don't talk about religion we talk about relationship with Jesus and following Jesus. That's why we do it. So the issue is, what kind of church are we going to be? Those are, not everybody here calls Life Went Home, and, and that's totally cool, and we welcome, we're so glad you're here. But for those of us who, who do, the issue at stake is, what kind of church are we going to have? And James is saying, my dear brothers and sisters... I know you've been scattered. 
And you're going to start gatherings. You're going to start meeting together as believers in all of these places that you've scattered to. And the temptation is going to be to do what you've seen here model in Jerusalem where we would give that guy a different seat. We would give him, we would ascribe to him worth-ship. That's what worship means. It's worth-ship. We describe worth to him in a different way than we would hear. I know that's going to be the temptation you're going to face. Because you're going to think that guy's got a lot of money and, and he can make a big difference. Or that lady's got a lot of money and they can make a really big difference here. So we're going to treat them other than in hopes that maybe they'll do something. No, no, the source is always going to come from God. It's not people. God uses people, but it's coming from God. And if God needs to bless you, and if God needs to bless this church, or any, if God want, has a mission and a vision that's bigger than our current resources, he's going to make sure we get it. But he will not do that if we're like, you're welcome, but you're not. That's what's at stake here. That's why we're spending all this time. What kind of church are we, who's, what, are we going to be biblical? Jesus came to seek and save lost people. It's not about the found. But church, religion will always, I'm going to use this word, metastasize. It will become cancerous to make it about us. And then to go, it's us versus them. To start culture wars. Like, let's boycott this, and let's cancel that, and let's not do... No! It's about Jesus. He's the one that changes lives. Not us, not buildings, not the stuff that we do in here. It's him. He changes lives. And he says, don't be the kind of church, my brothers and sisters, who would say, you sit here and you sit there. And James knows what's going to happen, that people are going to be like, bro, are you serious, James? This is the letter you send us? What's the big deal if we look down? What if it's a big deal if we say to that guy, you know, who could make a difference, hey, man, come over here. What's the big deal? We're good people. We follow the law of Moses because they're Jewish believers. We follow the law. Oh, really? Verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin. And you are convicted by that same law that you say you're upholding, the law of Moses, as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of them. But I'm a good person. By whose standard are you good? Because God's standard is perfect. What? Well, how are we going to get saved? We're going to get saved by trusting in the one who was perfect, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who came, lived a spotless, sinless life, died on a cross. His righteousness, right? He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only hope that you and I ever have, because one day you're going to stand before God, and he's going to finish in verse 12 and 13. He's going to tell us, listen. You better show mercy because one day you're going to need mercy and one day I'm going to stand before God and all, the only hope I got because it's not goodness that's at stake, it's perfection that's at stake and there's only one who was ever perfect and if I trusted him, I have a shot. If I don't, I got no shot at all. Yeah, but we, we follow the law of Moses and we've been circumcised. And I said circumcised two times in a row. I guess because it's Father's Day? I, I don't know. Um, it's a big deal for the Old Testament believers, right? It's not a big deal. And James says, listen, it is a big deal because you think the law still, you, some of you people still think it's the law. You think it's Moses and Jesus equals salvation. That's the whole book of Galatians, by the way. It's, it's Moses plus Jesus equals salvation. He's like, no, no, no. It's just Jesus alone. And don't think that you following the law is going to get you right because if you trip even a little bit and you're trusting in the law to save you, you're going to be guilty of all of it. And then what he goes to press the point, because see, we, think, we tend to think that God grades on a curve, like I did, I did 65% of the stuff, right? I'm good, right? Because I passed like that in high school. I graduated like that. Come on, <laughs> any C people in the house today, right? Like I, I made it, right? God doesn't grade on a curve. It's perfection, sinless perfection. Jesus, the righteous. 
So to press the point, he goes on and says in verse 11, look at this. He says, for he who said you should not commit adultery. What? What does that have to do with anything? And you also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Now these are radically different than it seems like. They're radically different from showing favoritism. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to tie it all in together because I want you to see how this works. See, murder and adultery are all or nothing type sins, right? Did you murder them? Well, maybe like 50%. I only killed them. They're just mostly dead. Princess Bride, anybody, right? No, no, no. You didn't kill them. You killed them. You killed them. They're dead, dead. Did you commit adultery? Yeah, it's just like 29% adultery. What? No, no, it's, it's all or nothing. See, see, we want to classify sins and be like, I know I have this little thing, this little pet sin over here, but it's nothing like what they do over there. And James is like, Really? Really? And so he, he's so serious about this that he links it with murder and adultery. Now, murder and adultery have a very different impact in our human condition, yes or no, than favoritism or discrimination. But in the eyes of God, in terms of right or wrong, he's like, it's a sin. We're talking about seats here, James is. And this is where I'm going to land. It's ultimately about who's sitting on the seat of glory. Who's sitting on the seat of honor. And in our own human flesh, we want to put ourselves there. And if we feel less than, then we will give it to somebody else and admire them and give them the glory. It's in our nature to worship something. Go look at every ancient uh, tradition, every ancient. Go to any museum in the world that studies ancient people groups and you'll find objects of worship. They lived in a forest somewhere a thousand miles from the nearest community and yet they worshiped something. Why did they do that? It's in us. It's in the human heart. I don't care if you're a believer. I don't care if you're an atheist, agnostic. You will worship something. Something will have highest value in your life. This is what we do. This is the original sin of Lucifer, that angel who takes a third of the angels down. It was a desire for glory that is not ours. Verse one, he says, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ is what he's talking about. Is that the glory of Jesus Christ means that the only seat that really matters is his seat. One one of my favorite images in the Bible is, is of a chair and it's actually called a throne. And if you read the Bible, you'll find that there's all these different thrones in the Bible and there are kingdoms and there are kings that sit upon them and their kingdom is the sphere of their influence. So it would be the king of this area and his, his fear would go this far and it would be the king of this area. And some of them were godly men and some of them were actually evil people. And so what's happening here in James 2 and the answer is to, we're always looking to be on the throne. It's about the kingdom and it's about, the key to the kingdom is always about who's on the throne, yes or no, right? The way you know who's the king is who's on the throne. And the truth is, the truth is, is you, every one of you and me, everybody worshiping, watching online, those of you who are going to hear this as a podcast, every one of us has a chair, a throne in our own hearts. Everybody does. And listen, it's not who we say that's on the throne that, that, that makes it so. Because if I can borrow from Hansel and Gretel, that great tale, right? There's a trail of crumbs that leads to a throne and the, and the crumbs are our time and our treasure and our energy and our passions and our checkbooks and our balances and every one of those crumbs are leading to something and at the end, at the end of the trail of crumbs of talent and allegiance and time and energy is a throne. And what we'd like to say as believers is, oh yeah, it's Jesus on the throne of my heart. But that's not how it's decided about. It's, it's, it's the trail that decides who's on the throne. And here's the thing. A lot of us would say, yes, it's Jesus on the throne of my heart. But if you follow the trail of, of energy and time and money spent and talent and giftings and passion, you find at the end of the throne, the one seated on the throne is you. And it's, it's me. Or it's achievement. 
or it's education, or it's career advancement, or it's wealth, or it's glory. No, 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 Danny, I, I love Jesus. No, no, no. Follow the trail. Yeah, but I sang the songs, and I showed up today, and I checked off the box. I, I came to church. Awesome. Good. Praise God. That doesn't decide who's on the throne. It's who is getting the glory in your life. This is what is at the heart of James' teaching. When you read the book of Revelation, I'm sorry to all the third gatherings. I just keep going. When you read the book of Revelation, you see that there's only one seat there. When you see, when we get a glimpse into heaven, there's just one chair there. There's one throne there. And guess who's sitting on it? Jesus is. And he is described as the king of kings and he is the Lord of, say it with me, he's the Lord of lords. That's it. His throne, his glory seat, if I can use that word, is the center of all of the things, of all of creation, of all of history, all of everything, all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, everything is pointing back to Jesus. That he, Isaiah said, his throne is high and lifted up and exalted and his robe of glory fills the, the entire temple. That's how great he is And that when we get a glimpse into where Jesus is at, around the throne of Jesus, of, of the Lamb of God, are all of these nations, every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every kindred. This is the way the Bible describes it. And the rich and the poor and the black and the white and the brown and all of the other kinds of human, all the educated people and the uneducated people and the men and the women. Everybody's there and nobody cares about a seat then. Nobody cares about who's going to get the credit or who's going to get the glory or who's getting the most likes or who's getting the, most, the biggest platform. Nobody cares in that moment. And the picture in Revelation is not that you and I would be seated on the seat of glory and Jesus is telling everybody, you know how much money they gave and you know how many people they, did, they served and, and, and they're singing our praises. No, no, no. The imagery in Revelation is this, that everybody, listen, listen. Philippians chapter 2. Everybody gets down off of their chairs. The angels, the elders, the leaders, and every tongue and every tribe and every people group, and everybody at the name of Jesus gets down on their knees. Every one. And they start to sing to him who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb of God be blessing and honor and glory and wisdom and power and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the angels are doing this. And everybody's doing this. And we're all blown away at the majesty and the dominion and the power and the glory of Jesus. So James says, there's the great glorious God and there's people and God loves the people so much that he sent his only son Jesus to die on a cross for them and this is how everybody's going to know you're one of his followers that you love them as well that's the goal that's the mission that's the heart of this church as long as I have the privilege of leading this church that's who we will be. That's our commission. That's what we're called to. Glorify God. This is why we sing. We don't sing to entertain you. We sing to an audience of one. And we just invite you to have your lives radically transformed in the presence of God. The glory of God comes down. Changes everything. And we all see him as he is high and lifted up and you're my brother and you're my sister and yes we have differences and yes sometimes we even believe some different things but we are on the same team and one day we're all going to go hand in hand and we are going to see the one who died for us come on somebody mm -hmm.
And listen, listen, listen. The quicker you get this, it's not about me. It's about him. And what does he want me to do? Once you realize, I got to get down off my own throne because I can't save me. I got to put him in his rightful place. The moment that you do that, and it's not about glory and honor for these people, it's about him. The moment you do that, there's a liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. You will be free from having to control everything in this world. The very, the very illusion of control will be stripped away from you and you'll just realize, I'm following Jesus, man. I don't get it right 100% of the time, but I'm going to follow Jesus all the way home. And this thing is, when I fix my eyes on Jesus, this old song we used to sing says, the things of this world, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of the Lord. God, I pray this word would be established in our hearts. I pray that it would change our lives. There are men and women all over this world who die for this book. Literally, in countries in this world, they are willing to die for this book. And God, sometimes we hold it loosely or lightly or it's just over there and I'm praying for these people that I love so much, God. That the word of God would just grow in them. That it would that it would take root in them and that, that it would begin to transform and shape their lives in the way that I pray that it will shape mine. God, I have so far to go. But I pray that your word and your spirit would have free reign in me, that I would not hold anything back, that I would not try to hold on to glory that is not mine, that, that glory is heavy. That's the word. The word glory literally means weight. And that people who pursue glory will ultimately be crushed by it. And God, we see this even with, in the celebrity pastor world that we live in. And I don't, I'm not throwing stones at anybody, God, but I just pray that none of us would ever start to think that the glory that is due you somehow is ours because it will crush us. Only you have the shoulders broad enough. Only you can endure the weight of glory. And I just pray, God, that in your goodness and your strength and your power, you would help us be set free from the need for it. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said a tremendous and powerful Amen, 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 amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.